about five years ago, I think it was, the last time we considered a passage in Galatians. I want to turn you there this morning to the first chapter of Galatians, and we'll be reading verses 11 through 24. Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. The Apostle Paul is writing to what has been called the most Gentile of the Gentile churches. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation my manner of living, in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of the Jews. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. The gospel, of course, is that which declares the grace of God, grace only in salvation, not human works, not human effort that adds to what God has done and completed in Christ, and that this gospel comes through that wondrous gift of faith that God gives in Christ only, the Son of God. Not in religious ceremonies, not in outward acts, not in ordinances. It rests upon the finished work of the cross, and that alone. This gospel the Apostle Paul was given to proclaim in 1 Timothy 1.11 is called the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to me. So, <clears throat> Friday, Kenneth asked me, what are you going to be preaching on this Sunday? I don't know if he realized I was serious or not, but I told him I'm going to be preaching the same gospel Paul preached. 
the same gospel preached by the Apostle Paul. And this marvelous trophy of grace, though he was chosen to see the risen Christ born out of season, as it were, as he said in 1 Corinthians 15, though he would see the risen Christ, he would hear from him and be taught by Christ himself the gospel. The gospel that declares the glorious truth the Apostle Paul would set forth. Justification. Being declared righteous before God on the basis of an imputed righteousness accounted those who are called and who believe the very righteousness of Christ himself appropriated by faith and by faith only. And of course, he saw the risen Christ. He doesn't attribute his salvation or his knowledge in Scripture to the sight of Christ. That's a wondrous thing because all the multitude of witnesses who beheld the risen Christ, he says, of course, it's him also who was born out of due time. And so, indeed, he saw the risen Christ. But what caused him to turn from his own self-righteousness, as he said when he wrote to the Philippians, having my, not, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith, it's what he heard. It's what he heard from Christ. He says in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He was privileged to see the risen Christ whose claim to be the very Son of God was before to him completely nullified and nullified by the accursed death of the cross. Now he understands the meaning of the cross. Now he knows the colossal meaning of the cross. And that came by the hearing of faith. And it brought such a transformation to him, to his knowledge, that it governed all his life, every day of his life, every hour of his life, from Damascus to the triumphant, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Who he knew and what he knew simply but profoundly understood that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what the Son of God accomplished on the cross, this would permeate everything taught by the Apostle Paul. Every truth that would be brought forth, it would govern everything that he did and everything he proclaimed indeed. When he was necessitated to defend 
himself in that gospel before King Agrippa II, he would reveal the whole method of his ministry. And it would govern every truth that he taught. To Agrippa, he says in Acts chapter 26 and verses 22 and 23, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying, none are the things but those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. His message was Christ crucified. Christ crucified for sinners. The necessity of the cross. Before we get to the body of the message, though, we'll consider a few things about Paul's miraculous conversion. And the things that we shall mention are not explainable by human reason. They're not explainable by mere human circumstance or hallucinations or any such. They firmly point to the sovereign work of God alone in this apostle. The main thrust of the message will be some of the glorious truths that were made known to this chosen vessel. As to Ananias of Damascus, the Lord Jesus says, He is a chosen vessel unto me. His sudden conversion dramatic indeed, brought about by an encounter with the risen Christ. It's not explainable apart from that actual reality. As we read here in Galatians chapter 1 and verses 13 through 16, for you've heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, that's a sovereign work of God. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. He'd been a fierce persecutor, the fiercest of persecutors against those who called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He hated those who named the name of Christ because he hated the name of Christ. And nothing, nothing can explain his immediate willingness to give up everything he had. And he had much. He could glory in the flesh, as he told the Philippians, had he wanted to. And he gave it up. Everything he'd gained from infancy, everything he'd gained among his own nation, He had a strict Jewish education. 
under the school of Gamaliel. He had a consuming zeal for Judaism. And all the profiting he obtained, he exchanged. He exchanged it for a life of extreme deprivation and suffering. Because he saw something that was far greater than anything he had ever gained in this world. Or anything that could ever be gained in this world. Or any riches, monetarily or otherwise, that he could have acquired in this world. And he sees, like Moses of old, even his sufferings to be greater than the riches of this world. You could write, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He suffered incredible things by the time he writes 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. But he calls it his light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He exchanged all of his temporary advantages in this world and all he had gained in this world for that which cannot be seen by human sight on a human plane. Then the gospel he learned directly from Christ. I didn't receive it from man. I wasn't taught it by man. I was taught it by Christ. And the gospel he learned from Christ, that salvation only comes by the cross and only as a gift of grace alone. That gospel is completely contrary to fallen human reason. Always human reason thinks on the basis of some human work, some contribution that a human being must make if one is to be saved. That was the case with Paul. Before that wondrous day outside the gates of Damascus, Preaching of the cross, Paul would write, is to them that perish foolishness. But to us, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. That gospel defies human reason. That gospel would never have been devised by man. you'll indulge me for one more observation, one more application before we get to the body of the message. That gospel that was given to Paul by revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ, he made known to three, Peter three years after his astounding conversion only to the other apostles 14 years after that astounding conversion. 
And he not only made known to them the gospel that he received apart from human instrumentation and from the Lord Jesus Christ alone, he also learned that the Lord had chosen him of all things to be the apostle to the Gentiles. As in chapter 2, verse 8, for he wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision to the Jews. The same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. The apostle Paul had a strict Jewish upbringing. He was a man of letters, highly educated, educated in the Jewish religion, educated in all the traditions of Judaism. He knew them well, like the back of your hand, as the saying goes, which would mostly be useless among the Gentiles. You see, if we looked by human reason ourselves, we would say he was eminently qualified to be the apostle to the Jews. Yet, he was the chosen vessel to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. What are we taught by that? Does this not teach us that the success of the gospel is not dependent upon human qualifications? The success of the gospel doesn't come by human attainments and qualifications. It is completely dependent upon the will and blessing of God alone. So Paul, my speech and my preaching was not the, in, with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He proclaimed what was made known to him by Christ himself. The special vessel chosen to be the apostle to the Gentiles. But what did he know? Immediately upon his encounter with the risen Christ. Well, that would be revealed and made known by what he first preached. After the encounter with Christ, Christ, outside those gates of Damascus, when he went into the city, what did he do? Acts chapter 9, verse 20 tells us straightway, he preached in the synagogues that Christ is the Son of God. That's what he proclaimed, his first message. Christ is the Son of God. What did he consider that before those few steps outside the gates of Damascus and the blinding light that knocked him down? He considered that blasphemy. He considered that blasphemy. For believers to confess that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God, 
That's the reason he furiously persecuted the church. Gave his consent when many were dying with that confession on their lips. When before Agrippa, he said that before his conversion, his purpose was to compel believers to blaspheme with little doubt, he was attempting to force them to deny that Jesus was and is the Christ, the Son of God, and to confess that he was accursed. That was his view of the cross. But why? Why was the claim to be the Son of God and the confession of believers of that very truth considered to be blasphemy. Because it was clearly understood among the Jews that this was a very distinct claim. It was a claim to a unique relationship to God the Father that belonged to no angel, no man, no created being. God could call Israel my son in a collective sense. He called believers sons of God in a derivative sense, Christ in us. But that by creation, new creation. But Christ declared himself to be the son of God by oneness of essence. And oneness of this essence and he proceeding from the Father. His words were that he was of and from the Father. Of the Father. From the Father. And this is unmistakably known by the Jews on two occasions that he was speaking of having the same deity that his father possessed. That he was claiming to be the son of God, the nature of God brought into human flesh. In John chapter 5, at the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, lay there for 38 years. On the Sabbath day, the Lord Jesus commands him to take up his bed and walk. The Jews were infuriated. A wondrous miracle before them. A miracle of mercy and grace before them. But they're infuriated because they did it on the Sabbath day. When he's confronted, he says in John 5, 17, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now, <clears throat> when that is stated, My father worketh hitherto, and I work, that did not mean that he did a work like his father does. That means that when the father was working, so was he. 
that the Father and the Son were doing the same work. Then the Jews really understood what he meant. So they wanted to kill him, stone him. Not simply because he had broken the Sabbath, but because he said that he was the Son of God, making himself equal with God. That's why they wanted to stone him. John chapter 10, if you'd like to turn there. John chapter 10. In verses 27 through 33. 27 through 33. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why? They knew what he claimed. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Which of those works do you stone me? For which? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Then we read in verse 36. Say of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. They knew full well what he claimed there. So Paul, furiously hating those who called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and confessed him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, nothing else could possibly explain him being an apostle of Jesus Christ except the knowledge that was immediately implanted in him at the appearance to him of the risen Christ and the only response he could come with, Lord, what wouldest thou have me to do? The most dramatic turnaround in Scripture. The reason why all worldly ambition, all the golds of this life, all the profit he could have had were exchanged. Exchanged for a life of suffering is only explainable by three words placed in the heart of the Apostle Paul, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. 
he could not but be who he declared himself to be. And the infallible witness to the truth of who he is was undeniably before the Apostle Paul in the presence of the risen Christ declared to be the Son of God by power according to the resurrection from the dead. But it was not his experience. It was not his experience. It was the sovereign revealing of who Jesus Christ is. Like God places in the heart of all of his elect redeemed. That transformed the fierce persecutor into the most zealous propagator of the gospel of God's son. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles immediately. I conferred not with flesh and blood. So what was the first message that he proclaimed when he quickly made himself to the synagogue in Damascus? Straightway he preached in the synagogue that Christ is the Son of God. Jesus of Nazareth. He was not a humanized God, nor was he a deified man. He was God manifest in the flesh. He was God, a very God. And yet completely man. All in one glorious person. As Paul so plainly declares it in Philippians 2. Who being in the form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was found in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. How rich, how glorious, how transforming the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply put, but having in them a meaning eternity itself will not completely and fully unfold. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If this is not simply a creed with you, if it's not simply something you adopt because it sounds reasonable to you, if this is not simply a creed, but in your heart and in your mouth and what you confess, it's owing to one thing and nothing else. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. 
Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. If you know him, if you trust him, if he is the delight of your soul, if he is the one you depend upon to carry you all the way into eternity, the Christ, the Son of the living God, who died, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high with all power in heaven and in earth. If you know and believe and trust him, then it's because he made himself known to you. And if this be true in you, if it be a reality, it's blessed beyond your capacity to even know. And if it's a reality, you haven't been the same from that day, nor will you be. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And eternal life has become yours. That's wondrous. I think of the dear saints of God, brothers and sisters who are Maybe going to leave this world in a blaze of gunfire. Who knows? Or maybe already have. But what they have is greater than everything in the world besides. What they've gained is far more blessed and glorious than what they have left. Paul's conversion had been sudden. It was overwhelming. It was thorough. And his understanding was opened up. The Lord Jesus Christ not only appearing in a blazing light of glory, but God shining in his heart the knowledge of his glory in his son. Nothing, nothing but miracle, absolutely nothing else but miracle can account for his drawing near the gates of Damascus, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord one minute And the next minute on the ground crying, Lord, what wouldest thou have me to do? Two things, there are more, but two things rule out any possibility of hallucination. Such an experience does not leave scales on one's eyes as did on his and an independent vision of Ananias of Damascus affirming to him, Jesus, who appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me. Thus began the career of the man who stripes, imprisonment, conspiracy against his life, hunger, thirst, Weariness, painfulness, three shipwrecks could not turn. 
until his triumphant, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me and not to me only, but unto all them also which love his appearing. Jesus of Nazareth who came into this world in such lowly conditions who resided in a poor family who learned a trade who had nothing of outward beauty to identify him Jesus of Nazareth was and is the very Son of God. He was the promised one. He was the one promised beginning in the fall that would destroy the works of the devil. The promised fulfiller All the promises of God in him, yea and amen. The Christ sent and anointed to perfectly accomplish the will of the Father. My meat, he would say, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. This is the one now Paul preaches. This is the one Paul could prove was the Christ, the Son of God. Straightway he preached in the synagogues that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they recognized immediately this is the one who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem. And the center of all of his theology his understanding of God, his knowledge of the great change brought under the new covenant was in Jesus Christ and him crucified, whom God raised from the dead. No little thing is it that not only now does he preach the one who before he considered those who preached to be declaring blasphemy, he sees the whole different state of the true Israel. He who defended Judaism to the hilt now comprehends the new covenant. Declares himself to be an able minister of the new covenant. Knows the great change that came under that covenant in Jesus Christ and him crucified whom God raised from the dead. Now he could see and would teach with spiritual understanding clearly and consistently that God had fulfilled all that he promised of old, all he promised to the fathers of old, in him in whom, as he says to the Corinthians, all the promises of God are yea and amen. It was he 
Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God, in whom alone, as he would say, before Agrippa and the Jews later in Rome, that he is the hope of Israel. He is the hope of Israel. Not a reconstituted nation in Palestine. He is the hope of Israel. The old covenant condition he understood, knew fully, taught clearly, was forever over. The outward having been only preparatory to the inward. And now, in Christ, there was a new creation under a new covenant and a new Israel. Old things were indeed passed away. All things had become new. The covenant promises made to Abraham and the Hebrew fathers, all of them were made to Christ. They were made to Him. And in Him alone were they fulfilled. And by promise, not by law, the only true eternal inheritance of Israel could come, as in Galatians 3, in verses 16 through 18. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. And what was part of that promise God gave to Abraham? In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed promise that could only be fulfilled in Christ, in him alone. So if you read, study the book of Acts, you follow Paul's missionary journeys. In his first missionary journey in the synagogue of Antioch in Pisidia, and at his final journey before Agrippa II that we read together earlier this morning. Paul would declare the risen Christ as the fulfiller of the promises God made to the fathers. He fulfills them. They are fulfilled in him. Look in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, this is in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, and in verses 32 and 33, in his preaching in that synagogue to the Jews, and we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, what God promise to the Jews was now fulfilled. 
It was completely fulfilled. In that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. In that same chapter, verses 38 and 39. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. God fulfilled what he promised. God fulfilled what he promised to Abraham. God fulfilled what he promised through the Jewish fathers clearly made known by the Apostle Paul. And so we read it also before, uh, when Paul was before Agrippa II. And what was his message? What was his message? He declares to those in Rome that he preaches the hope of Israel. What is the hope of Israel? He preached it he declared it to Agrippa. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to great and small, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. He preached, Christ for the Jew. He preached Christ for the Gentile. He preached Christ as the fulfiller of all that God had promised. He preached fulfillment in the risen Christ whom he met that day just outside the gates of Damascus. You see, this is revolutionary. Not only was he completely turned around and now preaches Christ, the Son of God. He, who was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, <laughs> now has his understanding enlightened, revealed to him glorious truth by the cross. By the cross, the old covenant Israel, all that was external and outward was over as a covenant nation. It was done. The cross ended it. And by the cross alone, the final form of Israel would emerge, but under a new covenant, a spiritual covenant. And would forever remain. This was his message. It's in Galatians chapter 6. And in verses 14 through 16. But God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, being a Jew, availeth anything, 
nor uncircumcision, being a Gentile, but a new creature, a new creation. A new creation, whether from among Jew or among Gentile. And who are they then? And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. That was a revolutionary understanding that was given to him. And in this new and spiritual covenant, Gentiles enter into the true Israel of God on identical footing with believing Jews. All the barriers forever broken down and they're not going to be rebuilt no matter the prophetisms we have in our day. The barrier's never going to again be put up. What he broke down is broken down permanently between Jew and Gentile. And those among the Gentiles who hear the saving gospel of Jesus Christ come to genuinely trust in him. They're as much a child of Abraham as was Isaac, spiritually. And so Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. By grace, by grace alone, by pure gift, sovereignly bestowed, God reconciles us to himself. He separates us whom he calls from the profane world. And he makes us a part of his one holy nation. Isn't that wondrous? Isn't that a glorious thing we learn? And we learn it through Paul. The Hebrew of the Hebrews. When you see, lay hold of, That the Christ who was crucified was crucified for you because you know yourself to be a sinner in need of a Savior. That he took his, your sins and he bore them in his own body on the tree. That he suffered all of the just wrath of God against sin, your sins. And that God did this. That this was God's work, not yours. By the gift of his own son. And you truly see by faith and trust Christ, the son of God alone. You're among the saved. Among the saved. Paul could write in Galatians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, 
that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All the glory belongs to him. All the glory belongs to God. For salvation is all to the praise of the glory of his grace, and that alone. To the unrighteous, God supplies a perfect righteousness. The very righteousness of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, put to the account of all who by God's grace come to him in truth and trust him. Then you lose all your own self-righteousness. Accepted by God, because you have a perfect righteousness, one you didn't work for. You were the opposite. One you could never in yourself produce because you were defiled throughout by sin, spiritually dead. Paul's message, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Paul's message in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He calls you in your sorrow for sin for the only one who comes to him, the only one who recognizes the wondrousness of that cross is the sinner. He calls you to believe his word. God the Father gives his word and calls you to his son who is the living word, the incarnate word, and to trust him alone. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Then learn, to the glory of God and your own blessing, that you behold by faith Christ. He's not going to appear to you like he did to Paul. That's overdone forever. Anybody that says that is a downright liar and satanic. He no more does that. He will appear again a second time. But no more like that to Paul. Believe and come to him only by faith. And if you do so, you behold him, you trust him, you truly come to him. You give up yourself in trust to Christ 
can say with Paul, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. If you have that same faith, it's because God gave it to you. It's by divine revelation, not by your will. It's God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. You can amen the Apostle John when he writes in 1 John 5, 20. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He, believeth, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. What a trophy of grace. What a work, a miracle of God. And Saul of Tarsus, the fiercest persecutor of those he considered blaspheming God when they confessed Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now he confesses Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God of the living God. May God bless the ministry of his holy word.